Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. Excited we are. Uh, you know, I don't know what, I mean, pe- people told me, you know, this is a shop crew right here. We we change it up a little bit, you know, we switch it one week, and I mean, we're still right on, you know, we're still right in our rhythm, right? So, um, so it was great. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, good to see everybody here today. Um, as we celebrate uh, GIC week, a couple of things. Uh, one, um, I'd like to uh, welcome Arthur Ivy. Oh, Arthur, good to be here. Uh, as well as Michael Aguanda, thank you for coming. So we 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 welcome you to our our REMC men's group. So uh, before we have our speaker, I just wanted to share a little scripture I I was uh, I had read last week, and it I uh, just thought it would be a good something appropriate to share as we uh, as we <clears throat> as we um, celebrate GIC week this week, and it's from uh, Paul. Um, written in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to get us kicked off here. It's Paul. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In leading the Gentiles to obey God. By what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders. Through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elyricum. I'm not sure what it is, but we'll call it Illy. Um, (laughs) That way. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard uh, will understand. And I just, as I was listening to that, I was thinking about, thinking about uh, kind of, you know, my role and, you know, our role. And I think we all share in the duty of proclaiming the gospel. And, um, you know, as you go further down in here, um, and it's, it talks about it's not. I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And we're all here um, so that so that Christ can continue to accomplish things through us. And I just pray that during this week, um, and in you know, from from the seeds that are planted this week, that the that the Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way uh, through our church. And through each and each and every one of you, as well as the missionaries that are joining us this week, um, so that the gospel will be proclaimed. So, and with that, I'm welcomed. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, pleased to welcome uh, Bishop Higai, who is serving through Bridges with the North Georgia Conference in Moscow, Russia. So he's going to share with us a little bit today uh, uh, about his story and, and uh, how God's working through him. So welcome. Thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning, sis- uh, good morning sisters and, <laughs> and sister and brothers. <laughs> um, it's a great joy and privilege for me to be here this morning. I bring you greetings from the Eurasia Episcopal area. Uh, you can see on the map, it's basically some of the countries of the former Soviet Union. Uh, Eurasia, it's not, it's actually, geographically, it's a big continent, but for our purposes in the United Methodist Church, we call it the Eurasia Episcopal Area, uh, but it includes only the countries of the former Soviet Union. And uh, we have uh, five uh, annual conferences uh, there, and we have uh, around 100 congregations. 
and the oldest congregation is uh, 25 years old uh, this year, and you can calculate that's 1991 when the Soviet Union uh, fell apart, um, and that's um, that's where the, the country became open for the gospel. Um, I want to start a little bit with my uh, personal story. I uh, grew up in Kazakhstan, uh, grew up there and was born uh, during the Soviet Union, so I was raised uh, in a you know, regular Soviet, typical family. We never had any religion. Uh, we were raising, growing up as atheists. And so I never read the Bible, never went to church, uh, never had any conversation about spiritual life or God. Uh, and then when I graduated high school, I moved to Moscow to study um, at a university. Uh, I studied hydraulic engineering, and uh, some of our classes were uh, study of the U.S. nuclear missiles and some of the weapons. Uh, and um, so I grew up in the, with this uh, mindset of the Cold War, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with uh, that reality. And uh, growing up, uh, you know, I never thought about, you know, uh, being in America, being with friends in America, so it was always this mindset of the Cold War. And uh, when I um, when I was a student in Moscow uh, University, I got invited by the United Methodist Church uh, people to come to church, and uh, first uh, I was very curious, I didn't understand anything. You know, people uh, sit in the worship service, they stand up, they sit down, they stand up, they sit down, uh, and then they pray, and then they sing something, uh, which was beautiful, but I didn't understand much of what's going on. And then I heard some messages that were very good, but again, uh, it was kind of hard for me to grasp this reality, uh, until I met uh, this young people, uh, the group of you know young people who were gathering every week, and they invited me to come with them and to go for a retreat. And I met a missionary from the United States, and his name is Jonathan Park. Uh, he is now pastor in San Diego, California. Uh, so he was uh, he was 23, I was 22. So I was curious, you know, why why he would come to Russia. It was 1992, and uh, inflation was going like crazy. You know, I was a student, so we, if we had rubles, we had to buy something today because tomorrow these rubles will be devalued like 50%. So everybody was crazy hunting for, you know, uh, U.S. dollars or some other currency to buy or to buy products, but uh, the food was not available in store. So if you go to store, there's nothing in the store. Uh, but you have rubles, you need to spend them because tomorrow they will be devalued. So it was very uh, terrible time uh, economically for us, and people were desperate uh, to find uh, to find the foundation for their lives. And so I met this American missionary, and uh, he says. You know, I came here to be a missionary, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe he is a CIA agent. <laughs> why Why would he come? You know, and I was thinking Americans are all millionaires, right? And so I would, I would think why he would come to Russia, you know, to such a poor uh, situation. And I asked him, and he said, well, I came to share the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, that really touched me because I didn't know anything about this, but I figured, you know, there is something deeper uh, in him that I do not know. And so he got me very interested in study the Bible and to come to church again. And so the more I uh, visited the church, the more I realized, you know, this is the, the reason for life. This is the, you know, the cause that I want to dedicate my life to. And so after a few weeks, you know, I, I accepted Jesus Christ and I followed Christ since then. And I got baptized in the United Methodist Church in Moscow. Um, so this is just a, a brief uh, uh, story. But also, you know, my, my thinking you know, got uh, shifted because, again, during the Cold War time, you may have uh, had that experience in your schools. You know, when I was in school, we used this gas mask. Have you tried it? You know, so we were had these drills, you know, AK-47, you know, disassemble that, assemble that, put a mask on and lie down on the floor. If the, you know, the, the funniest part for me was that if the nuclear uh, bomb is, uh, you know, exploded there, you have to lie down with your legs that direction and put your hands on so as though it would help you. Uh, and, uh, but that's, it's, it's funny now, but uh, at that time, you know, that was kind of a, again, that they shaped this mentality in us that America is our uh, number one enemy. And then uh, when I was in uh, university, we had these uh, uh, classes with classified materials. 
that I would sign up, you know, contract every di- every time I would come to class. Uh, we had a weekly classes on military weapons. Every time I would come to class, I would sign up a contract that I would not share this knowledge with anybody for 15 years. And uh, they would, you know, have a soundproof curtains and they would show us documentary movies on uh, U.S. Uh, nuclear missiles. And so they would motivate us. You are Russian engineers. You have to build up better weapons to protect our country. So, again, with this kind of a mindset... I meet American missionary, and then I meet American people, and then I visit America. And, you know, I realize this, you know, we've been brainwashed, like, for generations and generations, and that's, that's so unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm so grateful to God that, you know, by the grace of God, that we have, we, we are now uh, sisters and brothers in Christ. And I am not, you know, spending my life and energy and knowledge and, you know, skills for building weapons but I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, all over the world now. You know, being in Africa or United States or Europe, you know, it's a it's a great uh, uh, great uh, power of grace that I experience. That God forgives me my sins. You know, as John Wesley said, even mine. And God wants to forgive uh, everyone. And uh, for me and for many of my friends in Russia, that was a, a revolutionary uh, experience because, you know, we. We grew up in a very different reality. Um, and so today, you know, if you would tell me uh, 25 years ago that I would be a bishop of the United Methodist Church, I would think you were crazy. Uh, but uh, again, that's uh, by the grace of God that called me into this ministry. And I'm, I'm very inspired by our people around the world because the, the Methodist people are wonderful people who are who especially dedicated into mission work. And so uh, I want to emphasize that Again, if you look into my story, as I see it, uh, that I am, if you will, a product of the missionary work of our church around the world. So there's uh, some people from the United States supported a missionary who came to you, to Russia to spend just one year. And many of my friends uh, in the church, they became Christians, uh, third-generation Christians uh, in their family. And um, uh, so mission is very much on my heart. You know, as as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, this would be the theme for the General Conference this year. Uh, go, therefore, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ of all nations. And so we want to focus again that uh, the verb "go" is one of my favorite because I think many men are 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 I don't know wired to to go somewhere. You know, and uh, to do something, and so I, I really uh, admire your uh, fellowship and group here that study the Bible and wants to help uh, people to load for missions, uh, tr- load trucks for missions, and uh, go places where uh, sometimes it's dangerous and uncomfortable, like uh, Russia in 1992. You know, I'm still puzzled how people, you know, they were so brave to go to another country and to experience uh, many uh, difficulties. Um, and so I want to share um, briefly a little bit about uh, our uh, churches in Eurasia. Again, it's a, it's a relatively young church. Uh, most of our churches are maybe 5 to 10 years old. Most of them are very small, maybe 20 to 30 people congregation. Um, many of them still meet at the rented places. Uh, a few of them meet in the uh, houses or apartments. So it's kind of like a house church. Uh, and uh, all of them are maybe 99.9% are first-generation Christians. So uh, people like myself who grew up in the Soviet Union and older, uh, we, again, we were growing up as atheists. Uh, so just a few things about uh, our church. Uh, this is the vision that uh, we have developed uh, recently for the next seven years. Uh, the things that are important for us, and if you want to come to do mission work in Russia, I encourage you to uh, to help us in these areas. One of them is Methodist identity. Uh, this has been a, a big importance for us because, again, uh, all of us are first-generation Methodists and Christians. So uh, we never gone to Sunday school as children. Uh, we uh, never, uh, you know, uh, heard about John Wesley before we came to church. So we don't have that, you know, centuries of tradition like you do in America. And for us, uh, many people have different ideas of Christianity, how it is expressed, how it is practiced. And so we want to invest our energy and uh, our resources into uh, strengthening that Methodist identity, a Methodist 
people who are, you know, when I when I ask people, uh, what do you uh, think about when you hear Methodist? And people say, you know, things like hospitality, things like mission, things like, you know, uh, generosity, you know, things like, uh, you know, Bible study, things like, you know, this, they shape our identity and make us uh, who we are as Methodist people. And so for us, that's important that we build that because, again, for us, uh, we are still kind of a, uh, if you will, a mission movement. So there's no uh, a long tradition like you have. Uh, even though the Methodist Church was in Russia before, you know, uh, like in the 19th century, but after the revolution 1917, when the Bolsheviks came to power, the church the church was not allowed to to work. Um, another importance is uh, raising brave and humble leaders. Um, again, uh, if you if you know the Russian uh, history, uh, people like me and older, we were growing up in the Soviet system when you do not. Uh, uh, you better not to uh, take too much initiative. You kind of stay low, you know. Don't, don't, you know, uh, bring your ideas too much. You kind of do what your superiors told you to do. Uh, the party, the Communist Party, will provide all the decisions and all the solutions for you. You just do it. Uh, you don't ask questions. Uh, and so it's kind of a that kind of a mentality basically killed the spirit uh, of you know entrepreneurial spirit or the spirit of innovation in many people and so even today I see that uh, as a as a problem in many of our regions of the of the country where uh, people still waiting for the bishop to tell them the, what to do you know in their church like bishop you know shall we paint this wall you know in green color or the yellow color I'm like you know, people, you know, that's not in my job description. Uh, but, but underneath that, it means that, you know, people rely so much on leaders, other leaders, but they do not see themselves as leaders who can take care of, of their own church. And that's been for us a big challenge. That's where I think American culture and the church is very strong. And uh, I invite you all and encourage you to be partners with us in that area. We invite a lot of teachers and professors and experienced pastors and lay leaders to come and share their experience of leadership uh, in the church and in the society uh, with our people. And that uh, not only teaches uh, some theories and practice, but also uh, gives us a good encouragement and example how you do it in, in real life. Uh, mission and missionary movement. Uh, this is uh, this is again uh, very important for us. Uh, we've been uh, uh, most of our churches have started because of the generous work of the missionaries from all over the world, including United States. Uh, but if you know when John Wesley and uh, his uh, people like Asbury and uh, Coke they came to American continent, they went from uh, west. I mean from east to west, westward movement, what they called it. Uh, historically, but for us it's a eastward movement. You know, we've been most of our churches in the European part of Russia. That's until uh, Ural Mountains, if you look at the map. But uh, uh, east of Ural Mountains, there are not many churches. There are some in the Far East, uh, a few in Siberia area. But you know, Siberia is very cold. Nobody wants to be appointed by bishop to go there. But, uh, but, uh, but we need churches there, and, and so we need some people who are missionary-minded, who will sacrifice their life, who will sacrifice you know, their energy and, and years to go there and, and evangelize. And so uh, with you, again, uh, in partnership, we want to be trained uh, how to do mission work, and we want to partner together. Uh, we don't, uh, again, after 25 years of uh, receiving missionaries, we feel like this is for us time to give. You know, we've been blessed a lot. We have received a lot in people resources, financial resources, you know, a blessing, blessings from God. But now, how can we give uh, to others? And that's where, uh, where the struggle is because uh, some of our churches say, oh, we are not ready. You know, we need another couple hundred years to study the Bible. <laughs> we need, you know, maybe a thousand years to build the tradition. Uh, but, but again, if you look at the Methodist movement, the, especially in the time of John Wesley and the first Christians, they had nothing. They had no buildings, no tradition, but they were going, uh, you know, all over Roman Empire, all over England, all over the United States with no resources, but with the fire in, the, in their heart. And so that's where we want to join uh, in partnership 
uh, again, that would be a, a great blessing for us. Financial base, of course, is a, is a great, uh, I mean, is a big importance for us as well. Um, it's been, it's been going well for us when the Russian economy was going up until just a couple years ago. Uh, some of you may, uh, see the news that just two years ago, if you come, uh, with US dollars to Russia, you exchange one dollar into 30 rubles. Now, if you come to Russia, you exchange one dollar into 77 rubles. So that's how bad our economy went in the last couple of years. And even though we, we encourage people to, you know, give more and uh, sacrifice more, but again, it's just, it's just tough for us, uh, economically. Uh, inflation is going up, uh, because of our economy is very much dependent on oil prices. When they go down, the ruble goes down and the salaries are not going up. And so you can, you can feel it in every church. Uh, people lose jobs and the prices in the, you know, for bread and milk grow up like 20% every year. Uh, so you can feel it with your, with your body. Um, so, uh, that's where, again, uh, of course we need help, but we need help, you know, very strategically, uh, in terms of finances. Uh, we, we try to encourage our partners not just come and, you know, bring money and give money, but we want to invest in certain projects that where uh, Russian people or Eurasian people are investing themselves. Even maybe it's not a big percentage, but without their investment, our investment, we don't want partners to join because, uh, one of the downsides of mission partnership is that, uh, you know, you want to come and help others, but then when you leave, you know, people depend on your help. And so they just wait for you to come again and don't do anything. And that's been, uh, uh, for us, a big, you know, learning experience during the last 25 years. I've been criticizing our General Board of Global Ministries a lot, and I'm now good friends with them uh, because, <laughs> because uh, they want me to speak about this everywhere. But uh, I, I'm telling that, you know, just bringing money, you know, just sending money doesn't uh, solve the solution. We just systemically prolong the problem. But if you have the, the money to bring, uh, let's do it, you know, in a strategic and a very long-term way. So it, it produces leadership, it produces uh, responsibility and involvement from the local people, and it continues when you leave and do not support financially. So that's, and that's hard. You know, I'm, I'm telling often that this is kind of like a metaphor of raising children. You know, we want to raise children uh, as uh, responsible people and independent people, but we feed them until maybe, I don't know, in Russia it's 18 years old when they become uh, full uh, citizens. Uh, but uh, it's like, uh, you know, bringing, giving money to them, it's like, it's like giving, you know, SUV to a teenager. You know, they may enjoy it for a while, until they ran out of gas and they will come and ask, you know, can, can you pay me for my gas? And that's what we learn, you know. Uh, people come to me in Russia and say, well, can you ask American people to pay for our electricity? I said, no. You know, they're not going to do it and I'm not going to permit them to do it. Because if you wanted to have a building, you have to have a plan how you can sustain the building or, you know, the ministries. And so that's, that's the hard lesson. And I'm just telling you, you know, sincerely that this is a, this has been an issue for many years. We are moving to a, to a different, uh, paradigm, but it's a, it's a struggle. You know, uh, I'm, you know, my Russian folks sometimes do not like me. You know, my American friends do not like me sometimes because they just want to help. You know, we want to help. What's wrong with that? But, uh, I'm trying to be the, you know, the bridge how, how we do it well. Um, Let's see. Uh, the next uh, is external relations, and that's been uh, also a very important area for us as we build relationship with other denominations and with the society. Uh, some of you know that uh, uh, in Russia, the predominant religion is the Russian Orthodox. Even though most people do not go to church, over 90% of the population do not go to any church. But if you ask people on the streets, 99% of them would say, I'm a Orthodox. Uh, and that mostly means kind of a culturally, uh, as we say. They associate themselves with the Orthodox Church, but they are not active members. Um, but the Orthodox Church, on basis of that, they criticize most of the Protestants and others that we proselytize uh, on their canonical territory, which means that uh, if, if, if it's their territory, 
uh, that's their doctrine. Uh, I spoke with some of their bishops, and uh, they explained to me. Their doctrine says that Russia is their canonical territory. That means if you want to do something on my territory, you need to ask my permission. Since we never asked, they are offended by us. And so that creates a lot of political uh, tension in the religious world. And so um, uh, we try to uh, find, find uh, what do you call, uh, places or, or meeting uh, venues where we can sit with them together at the same table. And sometimes it's going well, but most of the time it's not going well. Uh, and so I ask for your prayers and for if you have some connections, you know, in the World Council of Churches or, you know, in the higher world of politics, you know, if you can meet, arrange me a meeting with in Cuba, you know, uh, uh, I would really appreciate that. But uh, that's basically the, the tension. And in the, in the countries like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, they're predominantly Muslim culturally again. Uh, they associate themselves with the Muslim religion. So if, if uh, some of our church members, if they're ethnically uh, Asian, uh, they become Christians. Uh, uh, it's uh, Their family may say, if you are either Christians or you're not my son, for example. And so it's a big struggle for them. Some of them, if they have to leave the home, or some of them have to stop coming to church, you know, they have to make that hard decision. And uh, for us, again, how do we build a relationship with the other religions? I know in America it's been, uh, generally, I, I think it's been uh, going well. Uh, in Europe, for example, it's a big struggle, as you know, with all the immigration crisis now. In Russia, it's, uh, it's going okay, but again, um, in some regions of Russia, it's very difficult. So it's been a, it's been a big prayer concern for us. Um, this is a, just a kind of a slogan uh, or a thought, a movement of spirit of, or an institution. And that's been struggling for us all over the world as a Methodist movement in America or Europe or Africa or, uh, you know, Eurasia. Um, you know, when the Methodist movement began in America, for example, again, people were, you know, most of the priests, they did not own homes. They did not have a proper salary. Most of them did not live up to the age of 40. Today, uh, people come to me and say, well, I can get that appointment if you provide me a salary, a housing, and if you, you know, help me with my kids and all that. And as a bishop, I often cannot do that. You know, and so, uh, we, we get, we get more comfortable, I think, uh, and I understand, you know, physical reality of our life, but, uh, I think we cannot be a good movement if we don't sacrifice. You know, like one of my favorite quotes from Winston, Winston Churchill during the World War II. You know, the England was under the Nazis' uh, threat, and they were going to bomb the whole uh, country. But uh, when uh, Churchill was elected, he said, I can promise you nothing but blood, sweat, and hard work. And that's what I say to my people. You know, I, I cannot promise you a comfortable life. Because if you live comfortably... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to be an institution, you know, that needs, you know, payment for utilities, uh, but uh, nothing will uh, happen. But what I want to see is a movement of the spirit, you know, when we can risk, we can go to places where nobody wants to go, we can, you know, sacrifice to the physical, you know, uh, feeling, uh, maybe go hungry or go uh, less clothed or spend time in a dirty house with somebody but people can be blessed by our ministry. And so that's, that's the challenge I bring to, to you and to many of our people in Eurasia. Uh, this, is a, this is a global ministries document uh, in Mission Together program that says Partnership 50-50 Covenant. Uh, you can find it online. basically says that we need to work together in partnership uh, because uh, American, my American colleagues, they said we, they learned hard way that they want to bring help to another country, uh, they do everything, but the local people are not involved, and that's not helpful. And so again, 50-50 means we work together. Uh, so this is again the five areas that we have for the next uh, seven years, and uh, I'm, I'm inviting you to partner with us. Um, a few words from the uh, Moscow Seminary. We have a seminary uh, in Moscow, and uh, 
uh, we have three campuses outside Moscow, one in Vladivostok, which is close to the Korean border, one is in Central Asia, Almaty and Bishkek, that's Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, and one in Ukraine. Uh, we meet mostly in the Western Ukraine now because of the war there. Um, and that's the campuses where we also meet with students. And so Dmitry Novikov, he is a, he is a Ukrainian citizen who studied in Moscow uh, seminary um, and graduated and uh, was appointed in Russia as a Russian, as a Ukrainian citizen. And his church, I'm apologizing for the picture on the right. I don't know why it's like that. But um, he started the church basically from zero. And now they have like 40 people worshiping in Saratov uh, city of Russia. And uh, he's having a difficulties with documents because he's a Ukrainian citizen, but he wants to be committed and he, he does a, a wonderful job and we are very proud of him. This is just a great story that uh, a graduate of the seminary uh, recently uh, has done a good job in the, in the ministry of the church. And uh, uh, this are, these are just some figures. I can leave the, the PowerPoint presentation with you and I also have some handouts uh, for you after the presentation. If you want to support our seminary, there are some uh, numbers for scholarships and for endowment funds that we try to raise. Uh, we have an agreement with the North Georgia Conference uh, for the endowment campaign, uh, which is very ambitious. You know, we want to uh, raise uh, 1.5 million P uh, U.S. dollars during the next uh, five years, and that will uh, that will uh, secure the the position of the uh, Ph.D. professor at Moscow Seminary. Uh, who will be our own uh, Eurasian uh, teacher. Uh, right now we have only one PhD trained person who is the president of our seminary. And he has been trained in America, uh, now he's in Russia. Uh, but he's, uh, well, we don't have, uh, again, proper funding for that. That's a long-term uh, dream for us. And uh, uh, also, uh, I want to encourage you to help uh, in this area. We, we also have a video that I want to uh, show maybe a few minutes later on the uh, seminary, but before that I also want to share that uh, North Georgia is partnering with our Moscow district. Moscow has uh, about 12 churches, not about, 12 churches, uh, uh, and uh, uh, most of them also uh, young and uh, uh, very small congregations, you know, again, uh, 20 to 30 people. Uh, some of them have their own uh, property now, uh, again, with the help of many of you and partners around the world. Uh, but Moscow is a very challenging place. Uh, you know, if you, if you look, um, if you look on the, in the Russian life, um, Moscow is like what we say country within a country. Uh, it has the, you know, used to be the most expensive city in the world just a couple years ago. Uh, it has, you know, very high prices on everything and the highest salaries probably in Europe. Uh, and, uh, uh, so very, you know, active people, ambitious people who come to Moscow to study at universities, get a job, you know, in, in good places. Uh, and our church, you know, uh, is struggling. You know, how do we keep up with all this pace? Uh, as, you know, probably church in every context, how do we reach out to people who are, most of the young people now, they never grew up in the Soviet time, so they are growing, growing up in the new democratic Russia, and, uh, you know, I, I have a hard time to connect with them because, you know, I'm in my 40s. Uh, I'm telling them stories about, you know, how I was standing in line for three hours just to get vegetables. They have no clue what I'm talking about. And so uh, it's very difficult, challenging, but a very important task. And so uh, how do we reach out young people and children? Children ministry has been uh, also a very difficult one because... Uh, in early 90s, you know, we would just uh, we would just open up the church door, invite you know people from neighborhood, and you know hundreds will come, and we would have great Bible studies, Sunday schools, and and things like that. But then the Russian uh, Parliament uh, Duma they restricted the law. They said you have to have a parents' permission, have to have a, you know all the legal things, and children just cannot come by themselves from your neighborhood and come by to your church. So all this puts a lot of pressure uh, on our uh, churches. How do we reach out to people? How do we reach out to, to the children and young people? And so uh, that's, again, an uh, area where we want to partner with you. 
one of the good successful stories when you bring teams and we do uh, things like VBS, for example, Vacation Bible School. Uh, that's been great. Uh, people want to study Bible. People want to study English because it's, you know, uh, very popular now. They want to uh, acquire skills. And uh, they want to come and see Americans, you know, honestly. Uh, but when they come see Americans, they see Eurasian uh, Methodists. And our folks, you know, evangelize and minister to them. And it's a great, uh, great partnership. Uh, same with uh, uh, youth retreats and, you know, student uh, retreats. When you come, uh, people get together. And if you can bring young people or, you know, people who work with young people, uh, that's a great experience. We have, we have different uh, student forums around Eurasia, you know, in Ukraine, Russia, St. Petersburg, uh, the most beautiful city in my opinion, and then um, uh, Kazakhstan uh, and Kyrgyzstan. If you visit one of those places with young people, that's a great, uh, great experience. Uh, we have a camp uh, Voronish uh, in uh, uh, 500 kilometers south of Moscow, uh, which was uh, acquired with the help of the German conference. And we have some, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, working projects there. If you want to come and work physically, you know, paint or, you know, nail uh, some nails and do some construction work or repair work, these are great projects to do together. Again, if you come, we arrange a team from Eurasia, we work together and you do something physically, you see the result of your work when you leave, and then you build uh, friendships with our people there. So uh, that's uh, uh, some of our, these are some of our young people who meet uh, in Moscow area, and uh, also um, we want to have also the Sunday school teachers training. That's also very uh, very important for us. Uh, one of the students there, Alexander Shevchenko, just uh, want to comment a little bit. He's from uh, Lugansk, uh, eastern Ukraine. That's where the war is going on. He left uh, Lugansk when the war started, uh, went to Crimea, which is now the Russian uh, territory, and stayed there. He has uh, three little children, and he's a medical doctor. And that's where he felt uh, the call of God to, to go back to Lugansk and to be a pastor of the church. Um, and so he's now studying at seminary. Uh, it's a very touching story for me. I, I speak with him uh, uh, often, and uh, it's very, I mean, he's, he's the one who has the tough situation and sacrifices a lot. Um, just one more comment uh, before I finish. I think it's important also that uh, if you can bring teams to, to Russia and we partner together, uh, and maybe if you can invite our folks to come and visit you, uh, exchange those visits. Uh, it's important now, even more, in my opinion, because again, as a as a child of the Cold War, I see that uh, you know politically, Russia and U.S. is very uh, much in tension. Again, as you follow the world news, um, you kind of get you know worried about this. What's going to happen? And uh, if you know, I watch I watch uh, specifically Russian news. Uh, what they say about America? All they say is negative. I watch the American news now, uh, specifically all, all everything about Russia. Everything they say is negative. So if people watch television too much, uh, they get you know only one-sided view. And I think it's important for us as Christians that we continue to visit each other, to encourage one another in faith, and to send a message to the world that you know even though politically we may have different uh, views, but uh, Christian faith is above our politics, and we can be uh, sisters and brothers and work together for for God and for the church and for the world. And so uh, I think it's uh, even more important uh, these days that we can do that. So thank you very much. And, uh yeah, if you have any questions or comments, yeah, I'll be happy to uh, respond. But yes. you you share so much about being a first generation Christian, so this is more of a personal question. What was it like for you to be the first generation Christian in your family? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Thank you. I well, I I um well, I'm tell you tell you the brief <laughs> version. Um, my first year when I became a Christian, I was so you know filled with joy and happiness. I, I thought, I'm going to go home and evangelize my family. But the problem is, you know, being the youngest in my family, you know, you have a, they don't listen to you very much. And, uh, and my, uh, 
my mother thought maybe I have a mental problem. Uh, my father said, if that doesn't bring you much money, why do you lose time there? My my brother, older brother, uh, he was kind of joking that now are you a priest or what? Um, and uh, my sister was uh, just not interested. So that's been a very so I, I was very crushed, just like John Wesley when he wanted to convert Indians, and. Uh, uh, so I went back to Moscow, uh, continued my studies, and I, I spoke to my church. You know, I went in front of the church and I said, well, I wanted to evangelize, but it didn't work. So I'm asking for your prayers now. So, and we prayed, you know, many years. And after some years, my brother went to Korea to work, and he became a Christian in Korea. Uh, so, you know, uh, not because of me, but in spite of me, as they say, uh, he's, uh, he has become a Christian. And then my mother uh, began to come to Presbyterian Church uh, in Almaty, Kazakhstan, and became a Christian. My sister, uh, she's still kind of a seeker, um, and she likes more Orthodox tradition. Uh, but uh, my father, he passed away. He never uh, accepted my uh, my way of life. Uh, so that's been uh, the story. Uh, thank you. Uh, on one of the slides that about Methodist identity, the bullet said uh, fluent English to be the norm. Uh-huh. Why is that important? Yes, yes. I try to encourage my folks. Yeah, this it's interesting you point that out because that's where people got upset with me last year. Uh, <laughs> because I see that uh, as a global church, uh, you know, we have, uh, well, most of them, or I think all of, all of the global agency of the United Methodist Church are located in the United States. And uh, they are meant to be a resource for the whole global church. But most of them are English-speaking people. And so, therefore, in order to uh, get help from those agencies, you need to speak in English, because they're not going to spend time to translate everything in Russian for you. And so, uh, but we have only a handful of people in Russia who can speak English. And so it comes a load on my office to be, you know, interpreter uh, between the local church in Russia and the global agency, which is in America, and I think that's a, that just sometimes kill the kills the communication. And so I encourage our people: if you want to be a global leader in a global church, you study English, and then you have all the communication with the whole global church. That's kind of the rationale. And then also some international conferences. We have those more and more in Russia and in Europe, in the United States. You know, uh, I often receive uh, invitations. You know, you can send like three people to this conference. And because everything is in English, I, I have my pool is only like maybe a dozen of people. So I cannot send good people who cannot speak English because there is no interpretation. So that's, thank you. It's interested seeing the the Pope and the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church mm-hmm. recently get together. Yeah. Do you make anything of that? And what is the what's the strength of the Catholic Church? Yeah, well, the Catholic Church is not that big uh, in Russia. It's also a very small uh, church. Um, but um, well, it's it's hard for me to uh, to see the implications for uh, for the Protestants, for example. Because we try to have dialogues on a regional level and some national level, but it just uh, doesn't go well most of the time. Uh, I know, I know that. Uh, well, following the the views of the current patriarch, um, I think that we have a more challenging task than uh, with the previous patriarch. I think previous patriarch Alexei was more open to the to the different denominations. This patriarch, uh, as far as I read his, you know, interviews and articles, he is more, um, what do you call, uh, if you will, uh, nationalistic, and um, so yeah, he 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 basically tries to impose on the on the president and the government that Russia should be almost like a state church. Yeah, there has been a debate actually in the secular uh, world that uh, why uh, the why the bodyguards. Of the patriarch are paid by the by our uh, taxes, you know, because we the church is separated from the state, but that's the reality, yeah, basically. Um, and they, of course, they enjoy that status. And, yeah. 
But but you know I'm I'm still hopeful. You know I think the the fact that this meeting happened, I think it's already a good sign, at least for a little bit of openness. Um, although they say in Russia that uh, this meeting was being prepared for 20 years, they couldn't agree on the agenda, on the place to meeting. Uh, so it's been uh, you know like the Bible says, for God, thousand years for God is like uh, one day, and one day are like thousand years. So I'm I'm thinking humbly that you know if I can be put just one brick in that uh, construction, you know I'll be happy. <laughs> it's not going to happen overnight. How's the relationship between the government and the church? Yeah, it's it's not easy. Yeah, um, generally speaking, uh, the the government tries to come up with new laws almost every year that basically restricts uh, the activity like evangelism, social work, uh, like tent meetings or uh, uh, like VBSs. We have to have like tons of paperwork if we want to do that. But if in order to receive it, you, I mean, they probably block you in the process. So we basically try to do like the first Christians do. We do underground work. <laughs> uh, we don't ask any permission. We, we risk the trouble to be fined or uh, sometimes, you know, uh, criticized, but uh, we, we risk that. The government... Um, uh, usually, uh, in my opinion, they are, uh, most of the society do not know anything about Methodist uh, tradition. And therefore, because they do not know, they think we are a sect. And uh, so it takes years and years to uh, prove or to, uh, to let them know that we are uh, people of goodwill. Uh, and it, in few places, we have good reputation where the church is actively involved in the community. Uh, but most places uh, we have difficult situation. So I see it again as a long-term uh, task that we continue to do good works and God will bless us with good relationship with the community and finally with the political system. They have to see it, I think, more than hear it. That's right, that's right, yeah. But they're but they also biased, you know. They, if Some of them actually, if... if if I'm a, a small local politician, if you invite me as a Methodist minister, I would go to the Orthodox priest and say, well, this guy is inviting me. Do you know anything about that? And, of course, the Orthodox would say, oh, don't go there. So they say, thank you for an invitation. You know, I don't have time. So that's what happens, you know, behind the scene. And uh, we, we struggle. But then again, you know. But, but I'm excited that, you know, again, our people are... I think just being a, a Methodist and a Protestant in Russia today is a is a bold step. Yeah, you kind of go against the flow. You know, um, everywhere I go, I say I'm a Methodist and I'm a Protestant. You know, people think, you know, why why are you doing this? Are you crazy? Or, you know, so uh, yes, sir. Wow, we've been blessed today, haven't we? Yes. That was a, uh, if, uh, that bold faith and that strong leadership wasn't inspiring, I just, I, I don't know what is. So, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank Erin for, uh, setting this up. Let's give it up for her and all she did. But that, that was an absolute blessing and I'm just so grateful for that. Um, Paul, in his, uh, in uh, in his letter, he continues after what I had read at the beginning. And first of all, he asked for some assistance, which I know we'll be providing that you know this week uh, uh, to the missionaries. But then he he closes and he says this, and he again he's talking to the people that are supporting him, right? So that let, let us hear this. It says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. 
The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And uh, so a couple of things. What I'd like to do is I'd like to ask um, uh, the bishop, Michael, and Arthur to come up here. And uh, Eric's going to pray for, for them and pray us out of here. Um, so we will join us this week. We will join in their struggle by praying for them. And uh, I just pray that they'll leave Roswell refreshed. So, if you would come up so uh, Eric can pray for you, and we can join join Eric in prayer, that would be great. Anybody wants to come and lay a hand on these guys, or by extension, a hand on somebody who's got a hand on them? Or if you'll do it in spirit, that would be sufficient. Let's pray. Oh God, we're reminded this morning of the mighty work that you are doing right now in our world. That our faith is a living faith. That your spirit is alive and well and moving. This is not just history. Or someday in the sweet by and by. But here and now, your kingdom is coming. In places like Peru and Kenya and Russia. So this morning, united as brothers and one sister, but not just us in this room, but as brothers and sisters at Roswell United Methodist Church, in the United Methodist Church, and in the church. Oh God, we lift up to you, Arthur and Michael, Bishop Higai. Their families, their homes, their ministries. We ask you to protect them, provide for them, defend them, empower them, fill them with your spirit. So that the work they do, the work they are about, will truly be transformational, kingdom work. God, may we all heed your call to be a part of your work. Now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.